Well, friends and family, as we continue through this worship hour together, we're in the middle of a sermon series that began a few weeks ago called Summer in the Spirit. If you've missed any of these sermons, I encourage you to, after the service, go on our YouTube channel, look for Summer in the Spirit. And in this season, we're taking a look at a very important aspect of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives when we create space for the Holy Spirit to move and to transform us more and more into the image of Jesus. And in doing so, we become more the people that not only God longs for us to be, but really deep down, we long to become. Now, as we've said every single week, though there are nine different words that are associated with the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5, it's tempting to think of these as nine separate individual fruits of the Spirit. And to think of, you know, love and patience as the difference between two different types of fruit, an apple and a banana, or an apple and an orange, these things that seem so different. And some people wrongly think that maybe you can have just some of them and not all of them. But that is the natural way of looking at each of these things, of love, of peace, of joy, of patience, as we get to today, of kindness. Because there's people that we know in our life that are not followers of Jesus or us ourselves and our past, or even right now, if we haven't put our faith and trust in Jesus, we might be kind people. We might be patient or gentle or loving people, but it is rare. In fact, I believe it is impossible to find on the planet or throughout human history somebody who has all nine of these growing in their lives. The only reason that that would ever happen is if the Spirit of God is growing this fruit in their life. Again, rather than thinking these as separate things that we either pick and choose or we get or better at and worse at, the Spirit of God longs to grow all nine facets, not nine uh, categories or nine uh, aspects of this singular fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, in many ways, this, the fifth in a nine-week uh, launch through all of these things connects back to the first week because the word kindness in the Greek language, the language of the New Testament, is the Greek word krestotes. And it literally means love in action. You know, love can often in our society be viewed as a feeling. It can be an emotion. But as John Mayer sang in a song, love is a verb. It's not truly love until there's action that flows out of a heart, but there is natural love and there's supernatural love. There's natural kindness and supernatural kindness. As we get into this sermon series, every single week, we're going to take a look from my vantage point at four different things. Each of the teachers throughout the sermon series will approach it differently. But as I've gone into my assigned and very excited about different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, there's four things that I want us to take a look at. And they're this. First, the problem of kindness. Second, the practice of kindness. Third, the power of kindness. And fourth, the picture of kindness. Well, what's the problem with kindness? Well, the problem is we rarely see it. We rarely see it in ourselves. We rarely see it in our families or in our workplaces, our communities. We rarely see it in the world to the degree, to the extent, to the level 
that God longs for us to experience it. Now, in some ways, you've got to go all the way back to the beginning of human history, which is found in Scripture, this description, this very poetic and vibrant and and remarkable picture of what things were like in right relationship with each other, with ourselves, with creation, with God. The Hebrew word for this is shalom. It's not just an absence of violence, but it's the wholeness, the completeness, the fullness of all that God longs for us. And in the midst of that environment, which is described in Scripture as the Garden of Eden, Scripture says that humans walked with God in the cool of the day. They were naked and unashamed. They, they were filled with this joy of vibrancy, love and action. It was just a natural part of their life in the same way that breathing for us is almost not part of something that we have to intentionally do. It just happens. It's part of our, our human makeup. But when we as humans chose our way rather than God's way, there was a fracture in how God created all things. We, in our relationship with ourselves, was broken when we were filled with shame. Our relationship with one another was broken when we began blaming other people. Our relationship with God was fractured when we hid from God. And our relationship with all of creation was fractured because beginning in that moment, the work that we did was one of toil, of hardship, of not cultivating and caring for all of creation for the flourishing of others. In some ways, we began to exploit creation, take it for granted, toil and labor through it. In many ways, that whole experience uh, is the alienation of all that God longs for us. And as a result of that, human needs began to arise. And ever since that moment, there have been human needs, physical needs, financial needs, psychological needs, emotional needs, relational needs, spiritual needs, that in some ways create a chasm, create a gap, create a void, create an absence of the shalom that God longs for us. Only God can fill that hole. Only God can fill that void. And God does so as a loving God, a loving God that isn't just one who feels love, but who expresses love in action. And the history of all of Scripture, from the Hebrew Scriptures to the the Christian Scriptures, the New Testament, the fullness of all 66 books of the Bible is an invitation for humans made in the image of God to actually participate with God, to join God in meeting the needs of those around us. Now, the problem with kindness is this. Often, we're only kind to people whom we believe are worthy of our kindness. I might say it this way, that uh, in life, it's not so much the, the cost of an investment That is the issue. It's the perceived value of the thing that we are investing into that matters. For example, if it costs, let's say, $500 to repair your car, you might think that's a little, you might think that's a lot. But if your car was valued at $500 to begin with, most people would say, you shouldn't invest that $500 into that 
car that is only worth $500 to begin with. However, if the same investment, $500, which for some can be a lot, for some can be a little, if that car was valued, let's say, let's say it was this rare antique that was actually valued at over a million dollars, most people would say, even if I don't have the funds for that $500, I'm going to figure out how I can borrow it. I'm going to figure out how I can earn money to get it because though the same amount of investment, $500 is $500, what changes is the value of the thing in which you are investing it into. Whether $500 or a million dollars changes your willingness to invest in that thing. Most people, let's say, if they own a home, are willing to invest in that home because it's one of the most expensive things that they, that they own. But if you have something relatively inexpensive, you know, and it breaks, most people say, oh, well, it's not worth it to get fixed. It's not worth it to pay to get it repaired. This principle of not just being the cost of our investment, but rather the value of the thing that we are investing into changes our perspective, not just in material things, but also changes how we invest, how we express love and action to people in our lives. You know, for some of us, the cost of giving somebody uh, a ride when they need it, it's a ride that from a value investment is the same. Whether there's somebody you know or somebody you don't know, whether that's a child, a spouse, a parent, a coworker, or a grave enemy, the cost of you driving that person somewhere is the same, but the value of the person whom you are investing into changes. And so the problem with kindness is most humans in their own strength, in their own flesh, with our own non-God-given perspective on humanity, rank order the different values of people in their life. And we pick and choose whom we express kindness to, whom we invest love in action to. And so there's people whom we love and they're lovable. Whether it's a family member or a good friend or somebody who has done so much for us, we consider them as very valuable people in our life. And often what we do is we measure subconsciously the cost of our love and action invested into their life. And if it's at a lesser degree than the value of that relationship, often we are willing to express kindness. But when the cost to love somebody in action is greater than the value that we perceive their life is worth in relation to us. Most of us, again, apart from God, and this is why there's a problem with kindness in the world, is we choose to turn away, to overlook needs, to not do ultimately what God is calling us to do. And we live in a world where there's great factures and divisions and walls between us and them. And one of the reasons why things begin to break apart, where needs get created, is that we only invest in the people whom we deem as valuable. And as we get into the sermon, there is a great opportunity to partner with God in expressing ultimately God's love, not only for us, but for all people in our midst, not just those whom we love, but Scripture says, even our perceived enemies.
So how do we practice this thing, this thing that is so desperately needed? We can look on the news and we know how needed this is. The division that's happening in our country, division that's happening around the globe, friend groups and churches and schools and cities and neighborhoods are are breaking apart often because of a lack of kindness. And my premise is that we don't see the other person as being valuable enough to invest the time, the energy, the cost of our love and action. Because the truth is, is that love and action is costly. It costs us time. It costs us energy. It costs us stepping away perhaps of something that we prefer to do, to do for somebody else. When we meet somebody else's need, often we have to say no to something else or sometimes even no to ourselves. But we're willing to do it if the person we see is valuable. So how do we begin to practice these things? Well, the remarkable thing about the life of Jesus is that Jesus came And we see in his life that he invites everyone to follow the way of Jesus. When you look at Jesus' life, wherever Jesus went, he is constantly not only being present with people, but he is meeting the full spectrum of their needs. Of course, yes, he meets people's spiritual needs. He says that if you believe in me, if you come to me, I will give you life and life to the full. He says that with me, you will experience an eternal relationship with God the Father. You will be reconciled to God. But Jesus didn't just come to meet spiritual needs. He came to meet physical needs. He gave sight to the blind. He enabled the the deaf to, to hear, the lame to walk, lepers to be healed, raise Lazarus from the dead. He gave food to the hungry, drink, to the thirsty. There were emotional needs in which he met, in which he was present with people who had been marginalized in society, who emotionally were running on empty because there was nobody who was looking at them with love, nobody who would look at them and say, you are valuable to give my time to. And Jesus constantly looked at every single person and expressed love to them, was present with them. All the people that society overlooked, that's who he ran to. He had a beeline towards their heart. People who had relational needs, psychological needs, financial needs. Jesus was able to meet and to invest in and to be love in action across the spectrum of all of society's needs. Needs that they knew and needs that they didn't even realize that they had. Of course, there's felt needs that are obvious, and there's needs that we have no idea that we are even aware about. And Jesus had this ability to get and cut to the heart of things, not just to to meet the needs of that which wasn't known, but also the ones that people tangibly had. And this invitation that Jesus has for us, which we will get to in the power in a moment of how we can do this, is to practice the way of Jesus with every single person in our life to be able to see the needs that people have and to meet them. We are finite people. We can't in any way uh, meet all the needs of all the people, but there is this sense that God can and God chooses to use and to infuse and to send out the body of Christ that is the church around the globe to meet the needs everywhere. It's been long said that just in the United States, I know we have many people who join us from other countries, but in the United States, that if every 
church was able to adopt a child that's going right now through the foster care system, that there would be the end to the foster care system if every church committed to that, this remarkable truth that we have needs that aren't being met, that God longs for us to see and to meet. There are needs in our city that are financial, that are emotional, that are relational, that are psychological, that are spiritual. And God has given us agency as followers of Jesus, not just through the programs of our church, but in our every single everyday lives to practice. Now, this is so comprehensive that I don't have a laundry list or some acronym or five points on how you can meet the needs, but it is simply this being present to and open up your heart and your mind to first see the needs of the people in your life, that you would have the ears to hear, that you would slow down enough, that you wouldn't be so self-focused on yourself, that you would be missing the needs of those around you in your family, in your household, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in line at the grocery store. You see, every moment of every day as you interact with somebody else is an opportunity to practice this beautiful thing that God wants to fill us up with, and it's love and action, it's Christesis, it's kindness. One of the greatest things that I've uh, chosen to do in my life, and I don't do it perfectly, but to practice this, to be very intentional about it, is before I get into a situation when I'm with other people, whether it's driving home alone to get to my wife and two boys, whether it's going to the grocery store and I park before I go into the grocery store, whether it's showing up to a friend's house, whether it's picking up the phone to make a call, whether it's typing an email or going on to social media to post, I, I often pray, God, would you give me your eyes, your ears, your heart to see the needs of the people around me and give me the strength to meet them. And that leads us to the power we can't do this in our own strength. We can't even see uh, the needs of those around us if we do it in our own strength. There is this supernatural God-given strength and power and perspective that enables us to love in the way in action that God calls us to love. And the first is this, that when we first have God's perspective on ourselves, on other people, it enlarges the value of all of humanity to an infinite degree. You see, when you look at Scripture, God looks at every single human being on the planet, whether those who know God or not, those who have lived moral lives or immoral lives, those whom society lifts up or those in society who they all look down upon. Every single human being has been made in the image of God. Every single human being, as it says in Psalm 139, was knit together in their mother's womb. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. It is not God's perspective to look at humans at different levels of value. Part of the brokenness of humanity is that we've forgotten God's perspective and we look at each other from a human perspective and in some societies, this is very overt. 
For example, the caste system in India literally assigns different values to different people based upon the socioeconomic and their family lineage. But there's also ways in our society and other societies where we do this in a very subtle way, in some ways a systemic way, where we can attribute different values to different people based upon their education level, based upon their track record, based upon their level of morality, based on their abilities physically, based upon the color of their skin, based upon what they have earned in their life. We do in a variety of ways. There's no one singular way, but we as humans in our brokenness, we, we actually, we assign different values to different people. And in doing so, we also create an us versus them mentality. And we then begin to view as some people as not being worthy of our love, not worthy of our time, not worthy of us needing to even meet their needs. I hear it all the time. Some people say, well, they deserve it. What do they expect? Look what they've done. That perspective doesn't flow out of the heart of God. It flows out of the heart of God's enemy. It flows from a broken, human-centric perspective. And the power begins when we begin to say, God, would you, would you give me your vision, your perspective, not just on myself, but all of humanity? And there's a work that happens when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When we receive the Holy Spirit, Scripture says that we become a new creation in Christ. We awaken to our true value. But more than that, we awaken to the true value of all of humanity. That's why Jesus can say, love your enemies. That is such a contradiction in our society. It's impossible it's unnatural, it's irrational, it's unreasonable unless you have God's perspective that says your enemy was actually made in the image of God. And your view of your enemy should be the same view as God's view towards God's enemy, which in fact Scripture says that you and I were. You know, in Scripture, it says that every single human being, when we choose our way rather than God's way, we are enemies of God. But what does God do to God's enemies? God doesn't annihilate. God doesn't crush. God pursues out of love. And with the greatest demonstration of kindness, as it says in the book of Romans, that God demonstrated God's love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, well, enemies of God, Christ died for us. Again, going back to that, that picture, that illustration, that image of we only invest the amount in which we think is worth it considering the value of that which we are investing into. You see, the life of Jesus isn't just a life among every other human life. It's that plus the life of Jesus being also the life of God in the flesh. There was no more beautiful human being, no more eternally true and perfect and loving and grace-filled and, and justice-oriented being than Jesus the Christ. And the cost of Christ's life is mind-boggling. It's beyond priceless. It's, it's, it's exponential infinity. And the remarkable thought that 
that Jesus gave his life rather than it being taken, which means that Jesus invested in humanity at infinite cost of infinite value. I believe because Jesus, God the Father, God the Spirit, saw the infinite worth of all of humanity to say it is worth investing the preciousness, the beauty, the life of Christ into. And Scripture says, while we were still enemies of God. Jesus doesn't invest his life into us after we turn, after we clean ourselves up, after we finally show up to church or memorize Scripture, finally give to the church. No, in actual fact, Christ gave us all when we had all of our backs to Christ. And when we can have that perspective of, God, you love me in action, when I least deserved it, it changes our heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. It changes our perspective. And we see our enemies through the same lens, the same heart posture as God saw us when we were enemies of God. And our heart supernaturally, irrationally, sees our enemies and enables us to have not just loving thoughts towards them, not just pray for them, but to have love in action towards them. When Jesus says, when your enemies are hungry, feed them. When they're thirsty, give them something to drink. When they're naked, clothe them. That is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why this is called one of the fruit of the Spirit. As you create space for the Spirit of God to change your perspective of yourself, but also everybody in your life, there becomes, and this is not an overnight thing, this is not a flip of the switch, it's not instantaneous, it's over a lifetime of sanctification, of growth, of becoming more and more like Christ, you begin to see every single person in your life, whether lovable or unlovable, no matter what they've done or not done, no matter somebody who formerly was somebody you looked up to who has now let you down or somebody who has always let you down, it enables you to see their worth from God's perspective and their worth is infinite. And it enables you to choose to sacrifice, to meet needs, to love, to serve, to care for, to spend time with, to have love and action, to be kind towards in a beautiful way that only comes from the heart of God. You see, this power comes when we cultivate this life. You see, the Apostle Paul says uh, frequently, but most specifically in the book of Romans, he says, gosh, you know, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I still do him this wretched, this wretched man that I am. And, and he said this after he put his faith and trust in Jesus. But even filled with the Holy Spirit, he knew that there was this war within him. There was Paul's self and Christ in him. And he wanted less and less of him to come out and to be the motivator for his actions and more and more of Christ to be the thing that came out and to be the motivator of his actions. And when he chose to repent, to agree with God on how to live, on how to see other people, to practice the way of Jesus. It enabled the Spirit of God to, to flow mightily through his life. And this opportunity is for you to see that Paul is not just one special person who enabled uh, to do these things in his own strength. He was some superhero, but in actual fact that God simply says, I will fill with love in action any heart, any life, 
that is open. You know, as we've worked through these things, we've seen the problem. We've seen some practice that we can pursue, but also the power that only comes through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Scripture says that's the same power that rose Jesus from the grave that dwells in us. But finally, it enables us to have pictures of what this could look like. Now, I imagine some of you have people in your life that aren't just kind, but they're just kind. There's something about them that that is God-given. It is supernatural. You know that the source of their kindness doesn't make sense outside of the fact that God is moving mightily through their life. There's people within our church family that I, that I can think of that, that are constantly meeting the needs of not just people in this church family, but people in this church family that disagree with them, that like different things in them, that vote differently than them, but they also love people in action in this city. And they, through our partners, do amazing things in this city and even outside this nation, through partners around the globe. Remarkable people who are just, they're love in action. They're living this out. But also there's people that we see throughout human history and throughout the history of God's people that we look at. And, and for me, I lift up and say, now that is a great example of a supernatural, a spirit-filled fruit of the spirit that is kindness. And one of those examples I want to share with you isn't in our lifetime. In fact, it never occurred in our country. In fact, it was part of what God did in England. Now, some of you are familiar with the, uh, the Great Awakening, and one of the most famous preachers during that season was George Whitfield, a great order that God had blessed and was able to share uh, not only the, the truth of who God was, partnered with and paired with the grace of who God was, and, and through the power of the Spirit, not only people's lives, but families, workplaces, the whole country was transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of those converts was a man by the name of John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace. Now, remarkably, John Newton had a mentor, so hang with me here. And his mentor was William Wilberforce. Some of you are familiar with that name, have heard that name, but one of the most uh, significant things that people remember William Wilberforce for doing is that he was part of a group of people that actually ended and abolished the slave trade in England. So here you have somebody whose life was transformed, the Spirit of God welled up in their life, and they saw that the love that God called them to enact in the world wasn't just among Christians, wasn't just in their church, wasn't just in their family, but it was in their place of influence. And William Wilberforce was a politician. He was part of parliament. And what's so remarkable when I hear this story, when I read the history books, is that he was part of a group of people who supernaturally wanted to extend the love of God. And they did so in a very irrational, on the surface, a very unreasonable way. Because here's what they also said. As they fought for the abolition of slavery, they also said, but we've also got to look out for the slave traders, we have to love them. We have to care for them. 
I don't see this anywhere in the public discourse in our modern world. There often is a a binary choice of let's love one at the expense of the other. I see this all the time in different pockets of humanity, not just in our country, but around the globe. There can often be a solution that is to care for the one at the expense of the other. But somehow William Wilberforce and his colleagues in Parliament were led by the Spirit of God. And this is such an example, the fruit of the Spirit. And they said that we have to extend love to all people. And that even includes the slave traders. You see, society's view is shifting, first looking down at slaves. Horrifically, that's not God's heart. And it began to shift. And in the naturalness of society, people began to finally see humans as humans, not just as property. And that was a beautiful thing. But in doing so, often in society at that time, they began to now look down upon the slave traders whom they formerly had lifted up and saw as natural. And they began to reduce these people. You see, it happened back then. I see it happening in different parts of the world today. But William Wilberforce, because it was the spirit of God moving throughout this whole community within parliament said, love needs to be expressed to everyone. And they came up with this solution. Not only did they abolish the slave trade, beautiful, powerful, amazing enactment of God's love and action. But what they also did is that they convinced the government to pay every slaveholder in the entirety of Britain. 30 million sterling pounds were paid out. It doesn't make sense unless you have a perspective that says that every single human being, no matter what they've done or haven't done, no matter who they are, no matter how we might view them from an earthly point of view, is worthy of love, is worthy of investing to, is worthy of sacrifice. And stories came out of not only people who were formerly slaves, now free, coming to Christ, and experiencing a tremendous transformation in their lives that wasn't just a physical healing and a physical freedom, but a spiritual freedom. But there was story after story of slave traders coming to Christ as well. That they realized that the guilt that they were experiencing, they experienced for the first time because the Spirit of God convicted them, but it also enabled them to experience Forgiveness as they changed their lives around. It wasn't just a physical and a financial provision. God's spirit moved in their life as well. You see, this, this spiritual awakening that happened then can happen here and now. It's one of the things that our society desperately needs. And so my hope and my prayer is that we would be people that look around the world, we would even look in our own lives and we would say, you know, there's a problem here that the level of kindness that God longs for in the world doesn't exist. And to not just point the fingers out there and to say that those people aren't kind, but we would look inward first and we would say that there is a blockage. There is a reduction of love and action in our life because in many ways, we don't see every single person as valuable enough to love. This is where the power of the Spirit moves in in such a mighty way. It transforms our perspective. It transforms how we view our life. And here at Bel Air Church, it enables us to become a church at work. You see, kindness isn't just for the staff. 
isn't just for the deacons, isn't just for the Stephen ministers, isn't just for those in the outreach committee. It isn't just for the counselors or the volunteers. It isn't just for a department or program of the church. It is for every single person that follows Jesus. That's you and me. We get to be the hands and feet of Jesus, meeting the needs of those around us. So as we continue on in this hour of worship, we turn our hearts back to God and thank God for all that he's invested in us. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you, in the midst of us being enemies to you, were willing to lay down your life for us. You gave it, it wasn't taken. Help us to that, have a transformation how we view not only ourselves, but everybody else around us. And through the power of your spirit, would you grow that fruit in our life? A fruit that has many facets and one of them being kindness, love, and action. May we practice it everywhere we go. Not just for the lovable, but the unlovable in our midst. Jesus, we thank you for your love and how great it is. It's in Jesus' name I pray. We sit together. Amen.